this morning. We have been doing a series on elders and deacons, and uh, it is our prayer that we will soon be able to have both more elders and deacons serving here at Yellowstone. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. I would like to have you hold your place in Second Peter or in First Peter chapter 5. And I want us to read another few verses from another letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And if you will look with me at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, just as we heard in the song, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Go with me now back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, of course, to the Jewish contingent of the early New Testament church, and then Paul writing in the book of Philippians, as he does in all 13 of his books that he writes, to various individuals, with the exception of Hebrews, which some there is much debate as to whether Paul actually wrote Hebrews or not. I don't believe that he did. I believe that it probably was a protege of, uh, of, of Paul, maybe Timothy or Barnabas, for example. But in every one of these, Paul and Peter both have one focus, and that's Jesus Christ. They have the focus on serving God no matter what it takes, no matter where God places them, no matter what position or what role that they are to be in. 
As we read again in Philippians chapter 1, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time this morning, but I just want to point out a couple of things as we prepare to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. It doesn't matter what you and I do within our lives, no matter what position or service we may be in for the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to rejoice in the Lord. The gentleman that was singing this song, his name is actually Jonathan Hamilton. Some of you may be familiar with Patch the Pirate. Um, if you are, you will think that you actually heard Ron Hamilton actually singing that song, but it was not Ron Hamilton. It was actually his son who sounds exactly just like his dad. His dad now, of course, is with the Lord Jesus Christ after having suffered for seven years from severe dementia. And he just passed away, I think, earlier this year, uh, April, April of this year. But I believe that one of the things that we saw in the life of Ron Hamilton, for example, was in Paul's words in verse 20 and 21, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For whether we live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. And this is part of what we call facing a solemn task. Because what is before us, both in the role of elders as well as deacons, and for any servants of the Lord Jesus Christ within a true church, it is that we do this to God's glory, not for our own, but for his. Over the last few weeks, we first covered the meanings of the words that were used to refer to the office of a pastor or of an elder. The same office can be referred to by the duties of one who is an overseer or one who is a bishop. Second, we showed from Scripture what the qualifications are for this office. Now, I believe that we could have many lessons. There are, in fact, many books that have been written. Mark Deaver wrote one. Um, John MacArthur has an entire book from Master Seminary on the role of elders and deacons within the church. We could certainly extend this by quite some time but I believe that we have seen enough from Scripture to understand the role of an elder. And I know, though, that some may not understand the difference. And it is for this reason that I believe that we need to make sure that we are moving at God's timing. One of the most sobering thoughts that should ever cross the mind of every pastor, every person who ever stands to fill the pulpit, no matter where they are, no matter who or what the congregation is, would be this phrase or this question. Am I pointing others to Jesus Christ in a way that glorifies him or am I speaking idle words? Am I pointing others to Jesus Christ in a way that brings glory to him or am I speaking idle words? Now, Paul himself was not the best person to look at he was somebody who many scholars believe was short. He had problems with his vision. In fact, we're told in one book, he actually states, he says, you have seen so large a letter that I have written to you because of his poor eyesight. This is a man who has been beaten repeatedly. He has been shipwrecked. He, is, he has found himself stoned and left outside the city. In fact, he addresses this in the book of Corinthians where he says, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. This is a man who knew what it was to be suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have it so good here in America, don't we? We, we, we think sometimes that things don't go our way or we struggle with a certain area. Maybe it's financial or, or spiritual or mental or whatever it may be. Uh, for example, we can go to the gym. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you go to the gym. I do try to go to the gym and I like to walk. The problem is when I get done walking, sometimes it can be very painful. Your feet hurt or if you do exercise and you lift weights, your arms can be hurting, your legs can be hurting. And we know that if our wife or our spouse asks us, well, how was your workout? Oh, and then we want to start giving her an organ recital. This organ hurts and that organ hurts. Well, Paul certainly knew what it meant to be persecuted. We have the blessing here in America of, of having uh, certainly seminaries and Bible colleges and online radios and books that are that are available by the dozen. You can order it today and have it tomorrow off of Amazon or off of any other bookstore that you will find online. And yet many of these pastors would dearly love just to have one copy of God's entire word in their language. And we think we have it hard. Here we've got the availability of being able to have insurance. And if, and if something happens and our loved ones have to take care of us and they, they have to go down to the nursing home to be able to pay for our final remains, whether it's cremation or burial, we have the availability of things like insurance when some of these other countries that we have talked about, such as the one that is here in the bucket that this is going to and other countries, they don't have that availability they have to depend on other people to be able to help. Otherwise, they have nothing. The timing of getting deacons and elders is never going to be as vital to this church as making sure, firstly and foremost, that we have the right men in place who are not only willing to serve, but are fully qualified based on God's word, not feelings, not experiences, not popularity, or maybe even the way that other churches do things. And yes, as the saying goes, the buck does stop with the pastor or the elder. He, in this case, myself as pastor, I will give account for how I have handled the word of God. I will give account on how the business of the church has been conducted. I will give account for the shepherding of the flock. And as churches grow, multiple personalities are involved. And, and if we're not careful, this body can get caught up in wanting man's way and tradition to take over instead of following God's path. I have been asked, and I want to make sure that you understand, especially for those of you who are new or who are visiting, we have received several nominations for elders and deacons. I've even received some more this morning. Every nomination is being taken seriously and each one will be dealt with in a timely manner. However, from what we see about how God cares and guides his flock, we would be far better to have no deacons and no elders than we would to have the wrong ones. In the interim, and through the nomination and selection process, I had a man of wisdom who shared with me, and I think that this is very wise on his part to share this with me. I have five men 
two outside who are pastors that I have chosen to be a sounding board of wisdom and counsel for any decisions that may come up. I am not making decisions on my own. And I think that it is important for you as a congregation to understand so that you know that we are striving to be above board in everything that we do. As I have shared before, we are not any other church. We are not given account for any other congregations, but we will for this one. My desire is, as I have shared and prayed and continue to pray and have you pray with me, our desire is to be able to have more elders and more deacons to serve with me. And so this morning, I want to share more biblical understanding on how and why an elder is brought into place. I believe that we can learn from others but we are solely responsible for Yellowstone Baptist Church. We are a Baptist church. We hold to Baptistic doctrine. It may be that some of you come from different types of backgrounds, Calvary Chapel or E-Free or Brethren Assemblies or other different types of Baptist churches. This is the reason why we have a duly accepted constitution and doctrinal statement that was adopted by every person here unanimously in January of this year. So I want us to look at a few points this morning. And I'm going to see like dad did this morning, if I can try to work my way through this, especially when I can barely see that screen with these glasses on. The Bible says that there are to be elders in every church. This is a biblical principle. Elders are the spiritual oversight. They are to take care of the spiritual oversight within a local church. And as you can see here in this one here, this is the structure of the local church. This is the biblical pattern for a local church. And that is number one, the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd or as the head of the church. There is only one head and that is Jesus Christ. The second thing that we note here is that there are leaders along this middle section here. Leaders are chosen. These men are shepherds. They are elders, overseers, bishops. And they are called to one purpose, and that is to preach and to pray, to be able to proclaim the word of God on a daily, weekly basis in no matter what area it is, whether it's counseling or, or dealing with a Sunday school class or dealing with a morning service or an evening service, whenever it may be. There is no greater task. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon. I think I may have mentioned this last week, but he said, why should I stoop to be the king of England when God has called me to be a pastor of his people? It's very important. And then we find down here on the left, we find those who are servants. They assist the elders, and this is the deacon's role. The deacons are those who serve. The word is transliterated from the Greek into the English language. And we now use the word deacons, but that's not actually, it doesn't give a true picture of what it means. A deacon is one who is truly a servant in whatever capacity that the church needs them to be able to serve in, in regards to the physical well-being of the congregation, as well as the facilities or the property. And then over here on the right, we find fellow workers the sheep. Now, ultimately, we're all sheep. I'm a sheep. You're a sheep. We're all sheeps, if you prefer a little more plural. But we're all sheep. 
And this is a spiritually gifted congregation. What you see here can't be done by one person. It requires everybody being willing to pull their weight. And it doesn't matter whether it's giving or whether it's being willing to stand. So sometimes the best thing that you can do on a Sunday morning by way of encouragement for the teacher or for the minister of the word is to stand, pick up a hymn book and read or sing along. Open up the Bible, show your children, if you've got children with your grandchildren, show them what it means to be able to see God's word living in you. Eldership. Eldership is God's plan for protecting the church. There are wolves in this world, whether it's false cults, false religions, those who practice or don't live in a way that as we're going through the book of James, as we're learning uh, in the Sunday school lesson, there are some who are hearers of the word, but they are not doers. There are a lot of people, I've been there in my life as well. At times in the past where instead of doing God's word, we hear it and then we just let it go in one ear and go right out the other. It was like that picture that dad showed this morning, the smorgasbord or a buffet. We think that we can pick and choose the parts of God's word that we like. So what is the responsibility, the duty, the motive, and the reward for those who are elders? Number one, the duty of the overseer is to shepherd. I think I missed one here. Nope. I'm not sure. I have the transistor. There we go. I'll let you do it from here. The duty of the overseer is to shepherd the flock. First Peter chapter five, verse two. Peter, the impetuous disciple, has now mellowed. What a picture of God's grace and mercy in the life of Peter. He's gone from being headstrong, boisterous, and self-assertive to be a loving shepherd who recognizes that he must follow the example of the only great shepherd. This is the man who, along with James and John, James and John, of course, are with the disciples who wanted to call down fire from heaven. Lord, shall we not call fire? Notice they didn't say, Lord, will you call down fire from heaven? They said, Lord, can we call down fire from heaven to be able to burn up all of these people? Peter was no different. He's the one who's sitting there by the fireside as they are making camp on the side of the road. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ says, Peter, you're even going to deny me. You're not going to deny me just once. I'm gonna, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, oh, not me, Lord. You won't catch me doing something like that, though all the others. Now, knowing Hebrew culture, knowing biblical times, I can imagine that Peter being very expressive probably looked around and even waved his hand at every one of the other individual disciples. Although all then may forsake you, Lord, I never will. And you know what is amazing? It was only Peter that we read of that actually betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ or turned his back on him. Peter now in addressing these true believers who have been scattered in the dispersion throughout all of Asia Minor, he also now graciously and loving, re, lovingly reminds these dear believers and the elders who are within the church 
that they are truly called to their role and to shepherd is to feed the flock, to guard the flock, to embrace or to fold them within their arms, to discipline them and to affirm them. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four. This is the reason why elders and teachers are given to the local church. It's so that the body of Christ will be built up. Secondly, we have the motive of the overseer. This was found in also in verse 2 and verse 3. Not under compulsion, exercising oversight. What is the motive? One, not because we must, but because we are willing. Not because we are forced to do this, but because we have a willing desire to serve. I shared with you, I believe if it wasn't last week, it was the week before in England and even in the early colony, uh, colonial period of time here in America, the first son inherited the father's business. The second might become a doctor or he might become a lawyer. And the third was given the responsibility of being a vicar or a priest. They didn't do it because God had called them to do it. They did it because that was what was expected of them. And too often, and you can read the Puritans and the Reformed pastors of old, and you will find many of them who unfortunately pointed to many of the people and many of the churches that existed in the early, in the early Americas as well as in England that were dead preachers preaching to dead people, a dead God. Now, the motive of the overseer, though, is not just because we must, but it is also one who must be in line with the qualifications. The qualifications, those who take on the responsibility of ministering the word of God, this is a very serious matter. Every week we deal with eternity. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. Secondly, the motive of the overseer is one who is not greedy for profit, but eager to serve. For sordid gain means fondness for dishonest gain. Note, while the laborer is worthy of his hire, that is not to be the goal or the intent of the one serving. He should be eager to shepherd. In the Old, Old Testament and both the New Testament times, a shepherd was not one who made a great deal of money. They were not at the top of the pecking order. They were not the greatest and the brightest necessarily of, of all of those who would serve in whatever particular profession. They weren't a king. They weren't a prophet. They weren't anything, but they were servants. That is what a pastor is called to be, to be a servant. Peter continues, not lording it over those who are entrusted to him, but serving as an example. Now, the word lording over here means to domineer, to control, to exercise authority as, an, as a dictator. Now, the evidence of this is not a disagreement with the pastor over his style or pattern of ministry. It is seen by someone who refuses any accountability or a willingness to learn. And it is not easy. I know that there are many pastors, we have seen some within our ministries down through the years who are not willing to listen to anybody and they find themselves not even listening to God's word. Now, 
Now, this morning, I'm going to share some things, and maybe you may wonder why I'm sharing these. I think that it's important, though, that we understand the role of an elder within the local church and the role of the servants or the sheep. It's easy. We have been there, my wife and I. There are times we've had to go back to a church and we've had to respond to that church or to that pastor and we've had to apologize and seek forgiveness for maybe the way that we have handled things or done things in a way that is not pleasing to God. You see, being humans, dealing with sin within our own lives, it is far easier sometimes to criticize and to cast stones than it is in being willing to serve in any capacity needed in a local assembly. Brothers and sisters, it's always easy to stand outside the circle and find fault. Anybody can do that. But what God needs and he requires is brothers and sisters who will be like Aaron and her to Moses, lifting up his hands in the fight. A fight that is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of evil. None of us in the congregation, in any congregation, should ever look at one another as being the enemy. There should be no bitterness. There should be no anger. There should be nothing but love and unity with one another because that reflects Jesus Christ to a dying world. And ultimately, again, we remind you that the fight is not against one another. It is against the evil one and his minions. I remember being told this many years ago, and it has stuck with me, and I've tried to remember it no matter what, what church I have ministered in. If you were not helping to uphold the arms of those who serve, and we're not talking about just pastors or elders, then you are actually helping pin them down. Thirdly, the reward. Verse four, a crown that does not fade away. When we get to heaven, there are a lot of rewards that the world offers. Many of you know and heard of the Nobel Peace Prize or maybe the Nobel Prize in Literature and Science or whatever other accolades that the world can give. You know what's going to happen one day? Those things are going to fade away. One day that gold and that silver and that money, it's all going to be gone. But both Paul and Peter make it very clear that we are to focus on a prize that is beyond these, this world. It is beyond these walls. We are to focus on our eyes on a prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My goal is not to get people to come and pat me on the back. I don't want that. What I do want is for people to be able to say when they leave at the end of a service, we have seen Jesus Christ. Our desire this week is to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ than we were this last week and to be more like him next Sunday when we come than we have been this week. So Peter gives an exhortation in verses 5 through 11. We're not going to break all of these down, but I just want to point out a few of the things here that Peter says to this church, this, these early New Testament believers. Number one, 
be humble. The word here simply means to be in submission to authority. A part of humility that is genuine is patiently waiting for God's timetable. Elders have the task of waiting on God to reveal his will to the congregation as a gathered body. And the congregation is to remain humble before God and to remember the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Be watchful. The word here that Peter uses means to be self-controlled and to be alert. I have said this many times before, and I've said it in other ministries down through the years. I know my dad has said it in his ministry. Maybe some of you who have been involved in different aspects of ministry. Maybe you have said it as well. If you want to find fault with a pastor with something that I'm doing or not doing. I want to encourage you, use the Bible as the guide. Not based on any other reason. You see, when we go to the word of God, if the Bible is our guide, it will keep us from violating scripture. For example, when it comes to 1 Timothy 5.19, against an elder, receive not an accusation except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I'll be the first to admit to you that I am not perfect. I sin. I'm a man. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if you're saved this morning, you also are a sinner saved by grace. There will be no perfect church until we get to heaven and we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ where there will never be any more sin. That's a day worth looking forward to. That should be our goal. I believe in being self-controlled and alert. I believe that there's something else that is important. If you are dealing with a pastor or with an elder, let your fault be with him and take it up with God. Don't involve my family. Criticizing or gossiping about my family is sin against me. It is sin against my family. It is sin against this church. And above all, it is sin against God. And if you have a concern and I'm sharing this in love. If you've got a concern with me, but you're taking it out on my family, which has happened for the last several months with some individuals, shame on you. Amen. If you and I are not seeking to build up, but are tearing things down, then ultimately we are violating the commitment that we made before the Lord and before this congregation as one another. 
again, I know YBC is not for everybody. My style of ministry isn't for everybody. But this is where God has placed me for such a time as this, and we will do so according to the dictates of Scripture. I want each of you to know that I do love you and I do appreciate the things that each one of you have done and will do and will continue to do for Yellowstone Baptist Church. The decisions I make in ministry, they don't come from my dad. They don't come from my wife. They don't come from my kids. They don't come from my boys. I hope that's all I have to say about it. Thirdly, be hopeful. This means that God will restore order and to arrange properly, to make solid, to support, to buttress the believer, putting them on solid foundation. And then fourthly, we find the priorities of elders and pastors. This is seen in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 35. Paul tells the Ephesian believers, he says, keep watch over yourself and the flock. It is more important for the man of God to prepare himself to be a channel through which God can effectively work than it is to do his job or ministry. Whatever job it is that you may be doing with, within your particular vocation, if you're not prepared, if you're not trained for that, you are not going to be effective. And a pastor, I mean, you can come into my library, you can look at the library that is here. Those books, by the way, in the library, church library, they're available. If you want to come and ask me about one and you want to read or, or you want to learn some more theology, please do so. While Bible college or seminary may not be the direction for a man who desires to be an elder, he will find that he has to work very hard to know the scriptures and the doctrine that he claims to believe. As we have said before, being a pastor or elder is more vital, I believe, than any other calling as we deal with the eternity of the souls of men and women and children. What is entailed in an ordination of an elder? Vetting, study, knowledge of the scriptures, knowledge of various situations. When, when I went through my ordination, which is simply a setting apart, the, the word ordain that we know in the English language is not what is represented in a lot of churches, but it involves hours, weeks, months of study and preparing yourself. And then you sit there in front of the ordination committee and you end up getting asked questions like, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> an elder must, one who desires to be an elder must have patience. They must be willing to show love, a desire to ever learn. We, we hear we've been using Alexander Strzok's, that's a, a staple in my ministry. I've been using it for a number of years now. Alexander Strzok is a, uh, an elder at Littleton Bible Chapel down in Colorado. And he wrote two books, one, Servant of Mercy, which is a deacon, and then Biblical Eldership. These are the study guides that I will be using with every individual who comes and desires to be an elder or to be a deacon 
so that we are on the same page along with what we find in the scriptures. The top priority of the elder or pastor teacher is his own holiness before the Lord. When I prepare a message, I have to spend a lot of time working on my own heart to make sure that I share what God wants me to share. You see, there are three things that God requires. One, he requires that we be filled with the Spirit. This simply means one who is controlled by the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5, 18, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, as one who is controlled by the alcohol that they drink, so too is a believer to be controlled in like manner by the Spirit of God. Secondly, we are to grow in the knowledge of God's will by studying and applying the word of God. You see, it's one thing to be able to stand up and give facts about the scripture or to be able to give some kind of historical aspect or background or the grammatical context of, of a particular book maybe that we're studying, just as I have done many, multiple times down throughout my ministry. But if that's all it is, is just facts and it doesn't change your heart and your life, then we have failed to recognize Hebrews chapter four, that God's word is a living word. It is the sword of the spirit. And it is designed to do one thing. It is no different than a double two-edged sword, and it will cut right down to whatever needs to be cut out and removed in my life and yours. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. There are a lot of people who have filled the role of pastor and elders down through the years who should be ashamed because they are not and have not been true workmen. I'm going to be honest. There are times in my early years of ministry that I am ashamed of what I have to give account to God for because I maybe wanted the position more than I did wanted God's word. But I am thankful for a God who is a God of second chances. Thirdly, we are to abide and obey. This leads to maturity. This is not just for an elder or a pastor or a deacon. It's for everybody to become more mature. Uh, Paul Washer made a comment and, and, and somebody quoted it on Facebook and I posted it to our church first uh, Facebook page this last week. If you and I claim to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and there is never any change, never any change, if there is never any growth, or you walk away from God, then there was no life to begin with. That's scriptural. That's 1 John. But again, God is a God of mercy and, and he comes to us with his Holy Spirit and he directs our heart and he brings us to repentance. He brings us to salvation. This is the wonder of what God's word does. I would encourage you this morning to look at your life. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. I'm not asking if you've shaken the preacher's hand. I'm not asking if you've joined the church. I'm not asking if, if, if you've taken the sacraments or the ordinances. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm not asking if you've even said a little sinner's prayer. 
I'm asking you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ? Who do you say Jesus is? Because it is there that will determine whether you are going to spend eternity with God or you are going to stand apart from God. Be shepherds of the flock. Shepherds lead, feed, they care for, they guard, they protect, they discipline. This is the pattern that is found in Ezekiel chapter 34. It was the Lord's words to Peter in John chapter 21, where the Lord Jesus Christ comes to him. And of course, Peter is embarrassed and he's just denied the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ has died on the cross and, and now he is resurrected and he comes and he appears to the disciples and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? I'm not asking whether you love Jesus like Mark does. I'm asking whether you truly love him, not like him as a good buddy or as a friend, but love him so sacrificially the way that he loved you that you would be willing to give your entire life to him. This one brother that passed away over in Southeast Asia this last week, maybe with the right opportunity, maybe with the right funding, the right sponsorship. This person could just as easily have come to the States, gotten an advanced degree, become an eye doctor, become something, something special. But apart from a handful of people, nobody will ever even know his name. But God will. And he gave his all for the master. Not for accolades, not for awards, not for money in the bank, not for a big church, not for nice fancy seats, but because that's what God called him to. The goal of the shepherd is stated in Colossians 1.28 to present every man mature in Christ Jesus. Quickly wrapping up this morning. Peter reminds these believers through the elders that they are to watch, warn, and protect the flock. Enemies come from within and they come from without. And Peter sounds a strong warning in verse 8. The elders must watch. They must be on guard. 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. They must discipline. The word is to disciple the members, to maintain purity. We see this in Matthew chapter 18 and Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If someone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such in one. Fourthly, elders are to pray and study the word personally. I have to have a constant relationship with God. If I get up in a day and I don't spend time reading God's word or I don't spend time praying, I know it. I'm sure some who are spiritually discerning, I'm sure that you could tell if I showed up and I had not spent any time this last week praying or spending time with God, you would know whether I had been or not. The word here actually means that we are to be overfilled with the spirit, not just filled, 
but overfilled to overflowing, growing in a way that is so constant that it keeps us striving to be pure, mature, and the believers. And finally, as an elder, an elder is one who is called from God's word to be free of self-interests. Ministry is not receiving, it is giving. I've told many men down through the years, even in Liberia where they didn't have hardly anything, I, I would tell them the same thing. If, if you think you're gonna become rich, you're in the wrong business because that's not what a pastor is called to be. Certainly not with material wealth. The Bible is clear that we have to be careful. We don't put ourselves forward with no regard for biblical qualification. If I do that or you do that, we're not worthy of serving as a deacon or as an elder. Hudson Taylor put it this way. God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's supply. Down through the years, we have sought in our own lives. Again, not perfectly, but we have sought to be a house like Joshua talked about in chapter 24 of his book. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what I'm calling you to do this morning. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the responsibility to serve the Lord you and your house. How can we, if we are not serving in our house, ever hope to serve in the house of God? I want you to be encouraged this morning. God's word is not easy. Messages are not gonna be always nice and fluffy. They're not gonna always necessarily be the things that we think we want to hear. But if we are going to move forward into the future, we must do it God's way or we would be better not to do it at all. I invite you to stand with me this morning. If you're a visitor with us or you just recently come to visit with us, I encourage you, if you have any questions, to reach out to me. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. We're glad you're here today and um, each and every one of you. And my prayer is that this week will be a difference for you and for me as we focus on Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 13, 11 to 14 again says, finally, brothers rejoice, aim for restoration, for comfort with one another, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you.